My phone has no video games on it. That's why. Well, one of many reasons why. Uh, I have a personality defect. Actually, I have a couple of personality defects that do not work well with, uh, with video games on my phone specifically. And one is that I have to beat things. I, uh, I can't give up until I, uh, until I conquer something. Uh, that means like, for example, this, this is just like in every area of my life, this is a true thing. So if I'm driving, say we drive to New York, uh, and, uh, and we have to stop. We have kids, so, you know, uh, they are on a rotation. Um, they're like, okay, it's your turn to ask if we can go to the bathroom. So they, they've timed it all pretty well so that we, we don't get like a half an hour down the road without having to stop. And uh, so I'm like hesitant. I'm like, well, just one more exit, just one more exit. Because I know that once I get off the exit, all the cars that I just passed, I have to pass again. Um, so um, it's, it's just, that's a, a part of my thing. So this is not good for games. I'm going somewhere with this, trust me. Uh, I also have a very addictive personality, um, which is just just to anything. Uh, I'm doing something and I want to do it. Uh, and that's what I'm doing for forever. Um, the only saving grace, the only thing that keeps me uh, with, with games on my phone, uh, as they, they occasionally do pop up there, um, but... Uh, the only thing that says is that I'm very, uh, I guess you would say I'm fiscally aware, right? That's the nice way of putting it. Uh, so I'm not going to spend no money on, on a video game. So as soon as you get to the point in the game, they're all designed the same way. As soon as you get to the point of the game where you have to spend money to beat it, then I'm out. I go, okay, delete that thing. So, so if I have, if you see me with a video game on my phone, you can guarantee that it's within approximately the last 10 days that it's been on there. And then it will be deleted uh, pretty shortly. Right? Uh, so I got into, I, I get into games. Uh, actually, I, I got into Sudoku uh, one time uh, just as a way of entertaining me when we, when I'd travel overseas. It was a long. You'd take a over overseas flight, and then I would have to get on a train and and take an over overnight train. So that is a boring boring ride. So I was doing that. I bought a book actually uh, long before I had uh, before I think it was actually before they had smartphones. So. Uh, but Sudoku is interesting because Sudoku, and this is where we're going, is, a, is actually, it's a game based on figuring something out based on all the information around it. And I love puzzle games. Uh, and so, so what we're going to be talking about today, we've been talking about the relationship of us to Christ. And most of them have been uh, pretty simple. Jesus said, I am, you know, this, I am that, or, or God says, Jesus is this, this is his title, this is his name. Uh, this is my son. We've talked about Jesus as the son. Or uh, there's, there's just some that are pretty easy where it comes right out. And this is Christ's title. Uh, today, we are going to have to put um, some pieces together. Uh, put some pieces together to come up with the relationship. Uh, because it's not stated exactly in so many words. But it is a title that Christ has. It's a, a role. It's a position uh, that illustrates the relationship that Jesus has with us. No, it's not mother. I apologize for that. I could not find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus is called a mother. So I don't have a Mother's Day sermon for you. Uh, I could have done uh, where Jesus said, uh, I would like to gather you like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks. But I didn't think on Mother's Day a sermon about the destruction of Jerusalem would be appropriate. 
So, so we won't go there. Uh, but we're talking about Christ's role. Um, and so we're going to put a couple of pieces together. And the first one is in Matthew uh, chapter 11. He says, John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's the first one. Uh, and so we see that other people, we're, we're looking at all the information around Jesus, and we're looking what what happens around Jesus, and we see that people around Jesus identified him as a friend. Now, here they meant it as an insult, but they were accurate. They were correct. Jesus was a friend to sinners and tax collectors and all sorts of, uh, all sorts of people. Another piece of information that we find in Luke chapter 12, 1 through 4, it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that won't be revealed or hidden that won't be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. Whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. And I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. And, and so, so here, here's all these people gathering um, to, to hear on the mountainside, hear a lecture from Jesus. And Jesus gives kind of a... Um, uh, VIP lesson. He, he, just a kind of a special. Here's a special introductory lesson for you know if you got in uh, got in on the ground floor. Here's his special disciples. He's like, I'm going to give you a little bit before we go out there, and I'm, I'm going to talk to them. But I want to give you a special message, and in that message, uh, Christ identifies himself as a part of a friend relationship. He says, I would call you friends. He calls them friends. Uh, and so he's a part of this friend relationship. And so what we are going to be talking about is Christ as a friend. We talked last week about Christ as our brother. And this month we're talking specifically about those relationships, those, those, um, those references and titles of Christ that imply that there's a mutual relationship. That it implies, we, we see from this that it's not just what he does but that there's this connection to other people in these titles. And so, as a friend, we want to look at what Christ is. Several things are implied by the word friend. Um, this morning we talked about Jesus being not being nice. So, so if you're thinking that I should have paid attention to my sermon when I was writing my class or vice versa, that's not what we're talking about. We're going to talk about what a friend, a, an actual friend is. Not a lot of references, as we say, to Christ as a friend. So we're going to look at the Bible's general definition of a friend. And so the first idea we find in John chapter 19, and, and some of these are going to sound kind of odd that I'm, I'm putting them here. Uh, it says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. This is talking about during his trial. It says, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Uh, everyone who makes himself a king opposed to Caesar. So the first concept of a friend is that there is an established alliance between things. We kind of think of a friend as what? A friend is uh, somebody you, you go hang out with. A friend is someone uh, you go to the movies with. A friend is... And we kind of have a, a very low concept, a very general 
modern idea of a friend. And a friend implies so much more than what we experience on a day-to-day basis. But this was, uh, the first thing of a friend was that this was an alliance. Now, perhaps this sounds obvious. At the time, however, we would need to understand that cultures were still gaining civility. There's still this border between uncivilized and civilized that kind of at the same time. Right? Rome had a senate, but they also had an emperor. They kind of confused. They were confused a little bit. Um, they had juries, but there still was no presumption of innocence yet. And it's like, we kind of get the idea, we kind of don't get the idea. So friend or foe still had serious implications. That, that wasn't, you know, well, your enemy. What is your, what, today, what does your enemy do to you? I mean, really. Uh, uh, we don't really experience enemies like they experience enemies on a daily basis. We don't really get this concept of, of the importance of having an alliance. Of, of having security in the friendship. So, in this alliance, we look at what Christ did in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. It says, through him, uh, and, and again, Colossians, I apologize, is a, is a long sentence, so we're just kind of going to jump in here. It says, through him to reconcile all, to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so the word friend, as I said, is not in here, but we see the concept of what a friend does. And he makes this alliance. He, he makes this reconciliation. He says, you were once hostile. You were once his enemy. You were once opposed Kind of like we see that relationship between uh, Herod and Pilate. They became friends. This is a reference. They became friends on the day uh, uh, over Jesus' death. There's, there's that reference. We, we see here a, a relationship that went, because of Christ, went from being a hostile relationship. And primarily it was us who, was, uh, who were hostile towards, towards Christ through our behavior. How did we become friends? How did we get to this friendship relationship? Christ gave up his animosity. I said, well, that, that doesn't sound nice to God. Understand that Christ, being God, was opposed to us, not because of me personally, but because of the things that I did. So God had to find a way to overcome his animosity towards the things I was connected to. And he did that through Christ's death. And this is not what we should expect. In, in our world, this is not how it works. Because we expect the person with the legitimate claim to animosity to sit and wait for the other person to make up. Right? That's, that's how things work in my world. I've got to be with somebody because they did this to me. I'm not going out. You will apologize to me. That's how things work. And Christ says, I've got to be with you, so I'm going to fix it. And it's completely backwards from the way we expect things to happen. He formed an alliance. Okay, let's make a friendship. So that's the first concept of friendship. 
The second one says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We talked about being a brother last week. Uh, we're going to talk about being a friend. A friend loves at all times. And so the second concept of friendship is constancy. This stability, this assurance that the relationship is going to have some, you know, from one day to the next, some, some reliability in our friendship. We have concepts, we have phrases that don't even represent what friendship is. Think about some of our phrases. Have you ever heard of a fair-weather friend? What's a fair-weather friend? Well, a fair-weather friend isn't a friend. There's no such thing as a fair-weather friend. Because of a fair-weather, if you have a fair-weather friend, that means today I might be your friend and tomorrow I might not be. That's not a friend, because a friend loves at all times. So by definition, that is not a friend. Or we'll say, well, that's the situation. That's when you know who your true friends are, right? True friends. Like there's this level of friendship. Like, like, okay, you're an acceptable friend to be not a friend under certain circumstances. Like I'm having a difficult time. It's okay. You're at the level of friendship where I accept that you're not a friend when things are difficult. Because that's when you know when your true friends are. There's levels of friendship. No. Down here, you're not a friend. If you're a friend, when I don't need a friend, that's not a friend. If I've confused you, I'm on the border of confusing myself. <laughs> the reality of friendship as Christ sees it is this. There is no such thing as a fair-weather friend. Because a friend loves at all times. You must be reliable to get that position. And that was illustrated in our text. One of the texts that we read in, in Luke chapter 7. He was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They recognized that Jesus had formed an alliance with this group of people. What people in a more desperate situation are there? There is no one in a more desperate situation than these people. They are hated by society. They are likely hated by their own family. And uh, Christ says, I am a friend to these people. So much so that it was recognized by his enemies and they thought they were insulting him by pointing that out. He's like, nope, nailed it. You got me. That's who I am. I am constant in their worst of times. And think about the, the worst of times that you have in your week. The moments where you think you are undeserving of any friend. Have you been there? Maybe you have. Then you're no worse off than they are. And Christ was a friend. So we want to know your friends. James chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, he says, not a, nice, not, not a nice way to begin and address people. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose the scripture says for no reason 
that the spirit that dwells in us desires to the point of envy. But he gives more grace, and therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, the first part of knowing our friend, not just knowing about him, not just kind of knowing what to expect, knowing him. Know your friend. You have to choose wisely. Choose your friends wisely. Know your friends. Know what they're up to. You know what Christ is up to. You know your friends. Have you chosen wisely? I pointed out how the passage starts off, which is kind of off-putting. Calling people adulterers and adulteresses sounds pretty harsh. And it is. Understand that God does this from time to time. He knows how to get people's attention. James is like, pay attention. Snap people out of their seat. Whoa! Okay, good. Now you're listening. Now I can tell you the rest. And I want to reference another part of this that depending on what version you read in your Bible is worded differently. Um, I'm kind of modernized the old King James here. I'm taking some of the these and the dows out, but this is basically the King James structure. And I've done it for a reason um, because there's a phrase in here that's really confused everybody. And that is that, and I don't have the answer for it, but um, James quotes a verse that's not in the Old Testament, or at least not worded that way. He says, Don't you, doesn't the Scripture speak to no purpose? So he's quoting a Scripture, and this statement doesn't appear in your Old Testament at least worded this way. I don't know, maybe he was quoting from the Septuagint. No one can find this verse. Was there a, a book of the Bible or something that got lost, and he's quoting from that? We don't have no idea. Uh, but he says, The Spirit that dwells in us desires to the point of envy. Or in the old King James, it says, lusteth to jealousy or lusteth to... And, uh, your a newer version will have it worded even differently and it makes even less sense. And that says, uh, that, that don't you know that he uh, desires the spirit that he has caused to live in us or something to that effect? Which makes even less sense because why would, why would the Father be jealous of the Holy Spirit? That really makes no sense to me. Uh, so we're going to back up here, and I want to explain this. Just I, I, I can't find the verse for you because no one else before me has, so I'm not going to. Um, but I want to explain at least the concept as I, I, I think what it means. Is that God has caused the Holy Spirit to live in us. And in the Old Testament, He is called a jealous God. And, and the Holy Spirit that He has caused to live in us desires to the point of envy. In other words, we've talked about, and this whole passage is premised on the idea that, that a friendship with the world makes us enemies with God. And when God sees us, and the Holy Spirit, who is God living in us, sees us forming relationships with other people that are opposed to God, He gets a little jealous. Right? That's natural. Just apply this to your dating relationship. Go back however far you have to go. If you haven't had a dating relationship, look at the people around you. That's all you have to do. Oh, she interested in him. And we start thinking, we start imagining. I don't know. 
She, he talked to that, that girl. He taught, he looked over in the general direction of that girl. I'm not sure if, right, we get jealousy, get the spirit of jealousy. That's the way the Holy Spirit acts towards us. He says, I get the spirit of jealousy. He is jealous for us. He doesn't want us even starting to think about contemplating a relationship with the world. But choose wisely. God is a jealous God. And you can make an enemy. If you are aligned with the world, you will place yourself in opposition to God. And I remember elementary school. Now, elementary school, boys were only interested in some combination of G.I. Joe's, Matchbox cars, something, something like that. That's all we were interested in. Exploding things, whatever. The girls, on the other hand, were interested in friendships. And I remember this because we were just like, keep your head down and play with G.I. Joe. Because I came to school and I didn't know who was whose friend that day. And it was like every day was jockeying for position on this side or that side. And I'm this friend and I'm her friend today. And like, I wanted no part of it. None of the boys wanted any part of it. She'd just kind of stay over here, play kickball or do whatever. But it was like every day. It was this, who is whose friend today? You're my friend, huh? If you're my friend, then you're not her friend. And that was the way it went. I don't know if that stopped or I just didn't pay attention to it. That's kind of what God did. Listen, you're my friend, not his friend. You're his friend, not my friend. And that's what God is. Choose wisely. Know your friend. And the second thing, in John chapter 15, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friend if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. So be faithful. The identity of a friend is the exact opposite of what you've been raised to think. What do we think of when we say, when we talk about being friends? The way we think of a friend, two friends here, he's my friend. That means I received something out of this relationship. Right? That's the way we think of a friendship. He's my friend. He's a friend. Like, I get something from this relationship. Well, he's not my friend. Because he didn't do this for me. Right? Are you my friend? Do you like me? Then you will do this for me. I get in a friendship relationship. Now, that may be somewhat true. We do get things from a friendship relationship. But that's not the right concept. That's not the expected concept. That's not the biblical concept of a friend. Right? You are my friend if you do what I command. A friend does. You see that. A friend doesn't receive a friend's gifts. 
friend does. So friendship comes from the one who initiates it, not from the one who receives it. And then it's reciprocated. In other words, Christ was the friend first because Christ was the one who did first. And we talked about that. He was the one who took the initiative to establish the alliance. He was the first friend. Then we reciprocate and become a friend of God. Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The reciprocation. In other words, friendship comes from, doesn't go to. And that's an important order of events. Jesus didn't choose to be my friend because of how great I was. Because of all the things I'd done, I deserved friendship. Well, I've got to die for him. It didn't start with me. It started with someone giving. He became a friend so that I could do, not because I had done. Christ saved us to do good works. He saved us so that I could do. He didn't save me because I had done good works. I am required to be faithful. So when Jesus addresses us as friends, I have called you friends. There is the implication of responsibility. Subtle, but it's there. There is the implication. We've talked about all these titles show reciprocation, show this this dual relationship. It's not just a one side. It's a two-way street. All these things require us to acknowledge the mutual parts and what they do. And so we leave with two questions. Have I shown Christ that I am his friend? Because that's what a friendship is, right? It comes from, have I shown, have I, dem- Christ demonstrated he's a friend to me, that's clear. Have I demonstrated in response to that, that I am his friend. I can't demonstrate that he's my friend. He already did that. Oh. We're friends. Wait. He's your friend because of what he did. Are you his friend in response? Where have you aligned yourself? And remember, there's no kind of friend. There's no so-so friend. There's friend or no friend. Have my interests, my passions, my priorities, my choices, my worldview, have they shown Christ that I value what He did? And I'm responding to that in mutual friendship. Think about that. When you go through your day, when you go through your week this week, 
Would a friend do this? I am making this alliance. Is this an alliance that was in keeping with my previous friendship to Christ? Are these compatible? Right now in me, what is the Holy Spirit saying? He's saying, don't do that. Don't look there. Don't, I see you looking. Don't look there. I'm jealous. Think about that. Have I shown Christ I'm his friend in second? Have I accepted Christ's offering of friendship? Because that's where it started. Before we even get to my response, there's this little question of Christ's friendship towards me. He has offered me a free gift of friendship. Have I accepted it? It is a simple, simple thing to accept Christ's friendship. It requires an acceptance of the idea of this friendship, this impossible idea of being in an alliance with the Creator of the world. Of willingly rejecting all the other opposing relationships and alliances that we have. Thoughts is renounce those relationships. It's called repentance, a big word for it. Get rid of those other friendships. And be immersed into a new, be completely put under into a new relationship. Completely and totally devoted to one friendship. Can you leave these doors with both of these things being answered the right way today?